ladies and gentlemen, to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for your health and athletics. She's won two Australian Trail Championships, a 24-hour track race, and many, many more races, as well as participated in the notorious Barkley Marathons. So she knows her stuff. And now, since she's raced all over the world, she's bringing all that knowledge and giving it to you so you can become a better performer as a whole. So make sure to continue to tune into the Peak Endurance Podcast to get your body right, your mind right, and your health on point. Hello and welcome back to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Episode 147 is an interview with Deb Sharp, founder and owner of EMS Endurance Medical Services. EMS provides first aid and emergency medical care to athletes in endurance races. Deb herself is a critical care registered nurse. She currently runs a medical emergency team for all code blue and deteriorating patients. She is trained in major incident medical management, hospital incident medical management, and is the director and instructor for the Australian Resuscitation Council, it's hard to say, ALS programs, as well as director and instructor for trauma core training and advanced wilderness life support. Phew, that's a lot. She is one amazing woman. On another note, I really love working on this podcast and interviewing so many interesting people. Over the years, it feels like years, I hope it is, um, I have learned so much doing this podcast. I really hope you learn a lot too and and find it just as interesting and enjoyable as I do. And if you do, could you do me a big favour? Could you subscribe, rate and review? Um, I'm hoping most of you have subscribed, but the rating and the review would be so good to get. It really helps uh, grow the podcast by making it more visible to other people to see and for them to subscribe. So thank you so much in advance. The link is in the show notes. Now, my recent goal-setting webinar went incredibly well and I got some great feedback on how much the participants loved it and got so much out of it. So now I'm making it available until this Friday, which is Friday the 11th of February for purchase. For $35, you get the recording and PDF of the webinar as well as the accompanying booklets. Now, like I said, it's only available until Friday the 11th of Feb, so you don't have long, and then it will be removed from my shop. So don't miss out again. Go to my website, peakendurancecoaching.com.au, link is in the show notes, and make 2022 your running year. Enjoy this episode with Deb. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation. You can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance has taken a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times where the wind blew past your ears. Nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit the specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run, or you can find them on Instagram at Health High Performance. Health and High Performance are located in Mount Albert, Melbourne, but are available for telehealth appointments, not only Australia-wide, but also around the world. So contact them now on their website to find out more. Hey, 
It's Tom Dave here, back with some more thoughts. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about the difference between training with an unhealthy obsession and and using it as a coping mechanism and kind of versing training for an event um, and having purpose in your training. Um, I have to admit, training for me for the past more than a year has really been more so a way to cope with my anxiety and with my past of anorexia and depression and other things. It's been really just helping me get by week to week and uh, as I've been discovering more recently, kind of to escape and not to be left alone with my thoughts um, as I've realised and it hasn't really been healthy for me mentally because of that. I've just been training numerous times every day, not training because I necessarily want to because I feel the need to to cope with the day and just to get away, which is okay to do sometimes but not when it's... Um, you know, three times a day, seven times a week, and it becomes too much. And so it's kind of really made me take up more purposeful training and um, have more specific goals to train for, to give purpose, uh, again, to the training. And I feel like it's made a really big difference for me, um, again, giving me that direction and that purpose instead of just doing because I need to, I'm doing it because I want to, and it's led to a lot of motivation. And I feel like um, this might be something that other people might share um, share with this. You know, I feel like ultra running specifically, a lot of people come from it from past drug addictions or mental health issues like myself. Um, I feel like a lot of people gravitate to the sport with those past and might fall into the same pattern of just training lots and lots because you feel the need to, to cope with your day. And just leads to an unhealthy and consuming, life-consuming part where whenever you're not doing anything, it feels like you've got to train. And I really felt like um, the structure has really given me back control, control of my training, control of my exercise, and has really helped me focus on other things. And I just thought that would be good to share with people um, that might share the same issues or might lean that way. Thank you. Hi, Deb, and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Hi, guys. Nice to see you. Um, yes, I have Ron here with me, obviously, and you mm-hmm. know Ron. Yeah, I've known Ron for a long time. Yeah, we know each other quite well. <laughs> yeah. And now, can you just tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your athletic background? <laughs> uh, I don't so much have an athletic background, is, but um, uh was a runner and I do still do a little bit of running, but not anywhere near as much as I used to Um, have done a few ultras. Um, Mostly my uh, involvement with running was just more from a destination point of view. I like to use running to, to travel and go and see places and things like that. So I did things like the Inca trail marathon and ankle and all that kind of stuff. So it was more about destinations for me as opposed to racing or racing anybody. Um, I just thought it was a good way to see parts of our country and other countries um, that you can only do on two feet. So that was my involvement with running. Um, And I'd very much like to keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah, Sorry? I'd I'd like to keep doing it or get back into it as I I would. But, um, yeah, the last couple of years has been pretty busy, I think. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Now, um, can you just tell us when did you start EMS and, and why did you feel that there was a need for such a service? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I think um, it was a combination of a few things. It was 
an identified need, I think, in doing um, some trail running events myself. Um, yeah. There was a, quite a number of events. I was always a kind of, in my good days, I was a middle of the pack runner, I think, but majority of the time I hovered towards the back. But I um, would commonly come into contact with people who were in need of some assistance. Yeah. Um, and I think quite a few times I got into a position where I would kind of stop racing and help people. And, and I think just in doing that, it kind of made me have an appreciation for how remote some of these races really are and the logistical difficulty of trying to get help to these people. Um, and it also, you know, I've, I think just from my line of work, um, I always have that plan for the worst and that's almost like your insurance policy that it won't happen. So I always have that worst case scenario in the back of my brain um, and I'm always thinking a couple of steps ahead and, um, you know, just trying to make sure that I've got a battle plan there should I need to um, engage it. And I think, yeah, through doing a couple of events and having an appreciation for how difficult it could be um, and then becoming a race director myself, so putting a race together. Um, and Ron knows all about that. Yeah. <laughs> Ron took over the baton for me and started to race direct the beer run and you then start to really understand the, the duty of care that you have and the due diligence um, and your obligation to try and provide a safe race um, from many different facets, from a legal point of view. Um, also, you've got to do the right thing by local council uh, and the governance that they have. Uh, so you need to make sure that you tick all of their boxes. Um, and, and just the expectation of runners, you know, I know everybody goes out there and they do their training runs and the onus is on themselves to take care of themselves in those circumstances. But when people enter a race and they've paid an entry fee and, you know, they're putting themselves in a position where they might want to push themselves just that little bit harder or, or beyond what they normally would do, um, you know, then it's reasonable to expect that there's going to be support services there for them so that they can go beyond their um, limitations I guess or, or whatever their perceived boundaries are so I think the big stick out one for me was Tarawera uh, I was doing the 100 kilometer race over there um, and I came across a gentleman um, and and that race attracts a lot of international um, participants and I came across a gentleman that Tarawera always has a bit of a wasp problem I don't know oh, where the okay. race that one is but yeah you often see quite a lot there's quite a lot of nests and stuff along the back end of the course and this particular year, they were running the course from Kaiwatau back to um, Rotorua. And uh, they do go out and spray and things like that before. But, um, yeah, I come across a gentleman towards the back who'd been stung by quite a lot of wasps and was starting mm -hmm. to demonstrate signs of having an anaphylactic reaction. So I stayed with him and then I realised that I had no phone reception. Staying with him wasn't going to do any benefit because yeah. I had absolutely nothing with me that was going to be able to help him. Um, but I had seen a car at a checkpoint, which was a decision point in the course, maybe two kilometres back. Um, so I made the decision to run back and get that person. And then we got forward, uh, sprung forward to the guy and were able to pick him up. And he did go to hospital. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just kind of got me thinking that, you know, I think things yeah. can get very litigious. Yeah. Um, I think especially these days, <laughs> event organisers have a lot to compete with. So being able to provide um, a really good, solid, robust um, first aid service with emergency management plans for how we're going to extract people if we need to. It just gives race directors that reassurance that, um, you know, we can go out there into the middle of, uh, you know, Victorian Alpine country and stage these races and let people see these phenomenal sites, you know, 
they can head across Crosscut Saw and we've still got people who are prepared to go out there on foot to go and help them if they've got a broken ankle or they get bitten by a snake. So I think that's where it came from is. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just to take a step back, Deb, what is your work background? Ah, that's, <laughs> that's how long have you got? Um, <laughs> I, the, the short version. The short version, I'm a registered nurse. Um, so I just have, I think throughout my 20 odd year career in nursing, um, you can wear a lot of hats as a nurse. Um, it's a really broad field and you can engage in a variety of different areas. But my the particular areas that I've tended to uh, be drawn to are the areas of emergency management, uh, critical care, resuscitation, um, advanced life support, all that kind of stuff. And then when I amalgamated all of that stuff with um, my love of the outdoors and trail running, I ventured out into doing uh, qualifications in major incident medical management, um, hospital major incident medical management, advanced wilderness life support, uh, trauma, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. at the moment, um, I think with nursing, you're always learning. There's always something to learn, and I'm continuing to study. So I'm working towards a nurse practitioner um, qualification at the moment. Um, but, yeah, that is my primary background, just a, a critical care registered nurse. Yeah. What do you think, uh, what would you say is the biggest difference between the service that you um, offer to race directors and what is a standard first aid um, service? Uh, I think there was really a call. A lot of race directors started to have the conversation with me when I'd floated the idea of, of having a medical service. Um, and I think our major point of difference is our team of people who are trail runners or are experienced hikers uh, who can I can comfortably put them out in the middle of the wilderness for three days and know that they can be self-sufficient. Um, and that gives us that capacity and the ability to really cover those, those big endurance athletic events and the remote area athletic events. Um, if you look at some of the other major metropolitan services um, or first aid services, you know, their bread and butter might be covering um, food festivals or music festivals um, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas our, we are very unique to uh, those endurance athletic events. And that's our, that's our real big point of difference. We understand those events from a participant point of view, from a race director point of view, uh, and from an athlete point of view. So I think uh, if you were to engage another service um, and you give them the, I guess, the vignette of it's a mountain event with a thousand participants that covers a hundred kilometers majority of services would um possibly sit at the finish line and and wait until someone was presented to them whereas we mm. will proactively go out and uh aim to keep people out on course we're, we're not just there to patch you up if you've injured yourself we're there to engage with um and talk to us if you're 50 kilometres in and you're starting to feel a gut ache, talk to us. We might be able to make some suggestions. Uh, we might be able to, to offer you some form of therapy that might be able to placate that and, and keep you going. So we don't just want to provide a first aid service, which is reactive when there's treatment yeah. needed. We want to be proactive and help people achieve and, and finish these events. Sounds great. So um, just say, for instance, um, so we've talked about what's, what you offer to athletes. In what situations should an athlete seek your help during the race? Anything, for any reason at all. Is So, I mean, 
there's a lot of things that can bring people unstuck and it could be something as simple as a blister that goes untreated or a hot spot yeah. uh, a hot spot if you intervene early and get some barrier protection over it it prevents it from becoming a blister and i don't know i'm sure is you've had your fair share of blisters oh, yeah. in your yeah. time and run as well it's it can be something as simple as that that can really just make the rest of your race just awful absolutely okay. awful so um yeah, we can engage with people just to help them with that with simple blister management or um at the extreme end, at the other end of the spectrum, it might be a 200 kilometre event and you've been awake for 48 hours or, or 30 hours and you're starting to hallucinate. Or, you, you know, you, you're uh, starting to feel a bit disorientated or whatever it might be. So we're there just to make sure, you know, we know that you're not going to be in a great headspace. We know that you're going to be struggling. Um, you know, we anticipate sleep deprivation and uh, extreme exertion can cause hallucinations and things like that. And we will do an assessment of you to see whether we believe it's safe for you to continue. Um, is, is it too much of a risk that you're going to go wander way off course? Um, or, you know, there could be another medical issue harbouring in the background that could rear its ugly head and then completely derail you. So can be can be something very simple from a blister, stomach ache, headache, nausea, vomiting, uh, gastrointestinal upset from the other end. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are things that a lot of people present for and that'll usually be a pre-existing injury or ITB or whatever it might be. And we're not a physiotherapy service, so <laughs> there's not really anything we can do for you if you're in the middle of the race and your pre-existing ITB is giving you grief. We can offer <laughs> you an ice pack, <laughs> um, but that's about it. We certainly can't <laughs> fix those chronic, um, you know, musculoskeletal issues out there. But um, yeah, anything, anything inside the realm of first aid. Uh, we can we can help you what's a really have you ever had like some really unusual injury yeah very much so um run was with us i believe we covered an event in new south wales um and unfortunately there'd been i can i think from memory there'd been quite a bit of rain uh leading into this event which as you know makes branches really heavy and uh mm the winner of the marathon event, and it's kind of like a figure eight course, this particular event. So this runner was on the last part of the figure eight course coming into the finish line in the center and uh, covered in blood, absolutely covered in blood. And we kind of ran to her to see what was going on. And she said, no, no, it's not me. And she gave us the brief that there was someone a couple of kilometers away who, who was injured quite severely. And we uh, sent a team out, which involved crossing rivers and a few other things. We got to her and a branch had come down on her head um oh. and that was a really significant injury wow um mm -hmm. and she was um taken by helicopter to westmead hospital um and all that kind of so she was just underneath it and it just timed perfectly to fall on her yeah yeah, wow. yeah. um from memory and, i think a, a storm or a, a windstorm had come through suddenly it was very sudden yeah and yeah and she got just in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah so That's it's unbelievable bad luck yeah, yeah absolutely but there can certainly be some freak accidents or, yeah you know, you do think that, um, I mean, you're running. So the tallest person at 2.3 or 2.4 metres, that's that's as far as you're going to fall. But you can still, with a little bit of speed behind you, and yes. smash, smash your front teeth out. We've had broken noses. Um, we've had pretty severe head lacerations. Um, just recently, we covered one race in particular where towards the end of the race, there was one one low branch <laughs> and the race organizers had done everything humanly possible to flag it and mark it and put tape all over it and i think we must have treated 12 uh, head lacerations <laughs> in that particular event because you just 
you're at the end of your race, you've got your head down, you just want to put one foot in front of the other and you think you've ducked enough. Yeah. Um, but they just hadn't. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can get some really bizarre um, injuries and illnesses. And, and that's also, um, you know, we do do a thorough medical survey before the races start. So we're looking at, hmm. we'll have people out there who are type 1 diabetics running with an insulin pump. Yeah. And that's got a whole nother world oh, yeah. um, to yeah. think about. Um, any diabetic knows their diabetes better than anybody else. And we don't, we don't want to tell them how to treat their own diabetes because they live with it. Yeah. And we understand that. So we will take their, their cues and their guidance. But at the same time, you know, their diabetes on a daily basis might behave very differently when they're in a race yeah. and they're under race pressure and race stress and they've got elevated cortisol levels from stress and, and all kinds of other things. So we're there just to keep a watchful eye, um, but at the same time jump in if they do declare and need our assistance. And then, you know, with other races with people who've had triple bypass surgery and, you know, they're still out there doing ultra endurance events. But during the race. <laughs> that's quite a medical service you're offering there yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah so, we, so we've got to keep an eye on these people in particular and, and so we do do a survey just to go okay well do we have any um, particularly high risk people out there that we need to be extra cautious of yeah that's like that's that. great yeah. that you do that yeah um now what would you say to people who question the need for mandatory equipment you know question the need to carry it are you ready with the sensor button? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this one might evoke a response. You're triggering me wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, it's mandatory for a reason. And I, we, God, we had um, someone cut a snake bandage to down to, you know, in, in quarters because they just wanted to save that couple oh, of hundred yeah. extra grams in their pack kind of thing. And I just... Sometimes I'm just lost for words in those circumstances. Um, a snake bandage is the length that it is because it needs to go up and down the, the average adult uh, limb. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so to cut it down to, you know, 30 centimetres for the sake of trying to tick the mandatory gearbox but save a couple of hundred grams in the pack, just that mm -hmm. kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, the race directors go through so much to be able to stage these events. And I think a lot of runners don't really understand what the race directors go through and how much red tape they have to jump through and how many hoops, you know, red tape they have to get through really and how many hoops they have to jump through just to be able to do this. So, um, you know, when, when runners kind of do argue or challenge the mandatory gear or in fact go out without the mandatory mm. gear and then present a problem that we have to deal with that seriously jeopardizes um you know the feasibility of running those events again mm -hmm. and the other thing about it is and it might be something that runners don't even think about but look at townships like bright for example there's a lot of mountain running events in bright bright has a very very tiny urgent care center and that urgent care centre is typically just staffed by one nurse with a doctor on call. And that's, on any given day, probably enough for the township of Bright. But when you add a 1,000 competitors plus yes. maybe three or 400 spectators into the township of Bright, and we always end up treating spectators as well, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then say even just 5% of, of, you know, of that group of, or mass of people need some kind of medical assistance and want to present to the urgent care center you've just overwhelmed the local resources mm. and when you overwhelm the local resources you take that away from the people who live in that township 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're going out there to do a mountain event in one of these local townships and you're not doing the right thing by carrying your mandatory gear and because you're not carrying your mandatory gear and you do get bitten by a snake or and you don't have the appropriate, you know, um, gear to treat yourself temporarily until we can get to you or say it's minus four degrees and you've been running for 10 kilometres and now you're wet and you're starting to get hypothermic and you haven't got your bivy bag or your space blanket or your extra polypropylene layers or whatever it might be, then you're not just putting yourself at risk, but you are putting the people who are coming out to rescue you at risk and you're putting other competitors in the race at risk. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> when I get challenged with people who uh, want to argue the mandatory year, um, yeah, it's, it is very challenging. Oh, look, and as can I just say, as a competitor in a race, I find it really frustrating because I'm lugging all that weight around and then I've been in races where I've spoken with people and they're like, oh, no, I got it checked, but I didn't bring it with me. And I think that's not fair, like, for the rest of us that are carrying the weight. Like, absolutely, we're, doing, yeah. we're all doing the right thing and you're just sauntering along. And and, yeah. and I just think it's... It's, it's cheating. It's cheating. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's absolutely cheating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I really strongly advocate that race directors do spot checks. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm always really appreciative when race directors do spot checks because, A, at least I've got the reassurance of knowing people have got their gear out there, um, whether they have done it of their own due course or whether they're only carrying it because they have the threat of being spot checked. Um, either way, from my perspective, yeah. it means they've got it on them. So I'll take that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a good thing. If race directors can muster the volunteer capacity to be able yeah. to do spot checks, then, then we're all for it and we'll gladly support it. Yeah. Now, what about when people are just hitting the trails, you know, um, we'll talk about summer for the moment. Should they take um, some sort of basic first aid kit with them? Yeah, look, I would always advocate it. it, it just to, it's up to really, the onus is on each individual person to be aware of their surroundings. What territory are they heading into? If I was going to go out for a run along, say, the Two Bays Trail this weekend on my own, I would absolutely take snake bandages because I know that there are some black spots along that course where you don't necessarily get phone reception. Mm. Um, and I, if I had an in-reach device, like a small Garmin in-reach device, in -reach device, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate because I have a sat phone, so I would take the sat phone if I was heading out to that area. But um, I'm also cursed in that I think if there's snakes out there, they tend to find me and gravitate <laughs> towards me. Don't worry, they find Ron too. I've yeah. seen so many snakes since I've been running with him. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's just, you know, but then again, if I'm just going to go for a local run down the Peninsula Link Trail or, or you know, wherever it is or, a, you know, a national park or something like that that's got well-defined big open fire trails, um, you know, then I might not, you know, burden myself with that kind of gear. So it's up to each individual person um, just to take that responsibility and have that, have that ownership on your own personal safety while you're out there. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just back on, on EMS, what sort of um, staff do you have at any given race? You know, what, what's the, the variation in, you know, because they're not all doctors. Yeah, sure. Right? So we have, um, we have docs, obviously. We have registered nurses um, and, and varying types and, and specialties. Uh, and we have paramedics. Um, we have people who've done wilderness first aid training. Um, and just general um, HLT uh, first aid courses. Um, and we have just recently started to take on student paramedics as well, okay. um, which is really good. It, it's, you know, yeah. it gives them a bit of a feel for it and, and mm -hmm. just some clinical ex uh, exposure. 
Um, so we always do an assessment of any event first and foremost. We, we do a risk assessment. Um, we look at the local uh, facilities and the local resources, like Bright, for example, with the, you know, the, what I was just talking about before. Um, and then we make an assessment on how many competitors do we expect, how many spectators do we expect, what's the weather likely to be, um, do we have reasonable access, can we get vehicles to majority of the course or is the majority of the course really remote and our only way in or out is on foot. Um, and then that guides how many staff we have, uh, the level of staff that we have, um, you know, and the advanced expertise and qualifications. So. A thousand people running uh, in metropolitan Melbourne for a 10k run, that might only need say four first aiders because you've got so many local resources available to you, and there's very little. The worst thing that's going to happen is cuts and scratches, really. Yeah. Um, but the same 10 kilometer event for a thousand people in the township of Bright might warrant more people because, or just a higher level of expertise, so that we don't have to necessarily burden. Um, you know, the local resources. About mm -hmm. how many races do you attend a year? Uh, well, it's getting up there now. Um, yeah. We're up to about 16, 16 or 17. Um, so we have a really heavy race calendar from uh, February through till May. Yeah. Um, there's almost a race every weekend. And then we obviously peter off over the winter period and then it starts to pick up again, August, September. Because I was um, going to say, I mean, in Australia, we can have a pretty much year-round race calendar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we have been approached by quite a lot of um, races in New South Wales as well, who are, uh, would like us to go and cover. And there, there's more uh, races in New South Wales through the June through August yes. period, whereas there really is very little in Victoria um, mm -hmm. over those months. Oh, that's yeah. awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah, to a degree, because we all work yeah. full-time jobs. Yes. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, how the heck do you fit it all in? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, you know, just kind of, I think it's gotten a little bit bigger than what we originally anticipated, which we love. Um, but, yeah, it is, it's it's a business that's grown out of hobby, which grew yeah. out of a passion, so. Hmm. Yeah. Lovely. Um, now, th this might be a good time also to mention what you've already mentioned. Um, you do have your own race that you put on it's coming up yeah uh not anymore <laughs> oh really yeah so the beer run um or sharpie's beer run we've yeah. had that race for oh god when did that start ron 2015 yeah um yeah it was the first year of that race so we've had six runnings of that race and uh it's a local race uh on the mornington peninsula and arthur seat trails um a 10k and a 21k uh and it's sponsored by mornington peninsula brewery um, so hence the beer run, uh, we get a little bit of beer and on course and at the finish line, which is always great for competitors. Um, and it's optional, obviously, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I think we've just, I've just recently, um, sold the beer run. Oh, congratulations. Uh, I guess. Thank you. Which is, yeah. and look, I love the event and as like we were just saying before, I would love to keep doing it, but you know, Ron, yourself from race directing it, that it does take an enormous amount of time and energy yes. and with a re really heavy EMS uh, calendar mm -hmm. from Jan through to May, um, it just made trying to do those events. Sorry, your your volumes just dropped down for some reason. Oh, sorry. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that better? Yeah, yes, that's, that's better. better. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go on. Um, yeah, I think it, the race calendar just got way too busy for me to try and stage a race at the same time as be mm. at a different race every weekend. 
doing the medical. Because obviously a, a race, people maybe don't, and like, like you said, they don't understand how much a race director goes through because it's not just the weekend of that you're required to work. There's lots of weekends before um, leading up into it. And, and I know many race directors who, as soon as the race is finished, they're already starting the plans for the next year. So yeah, definitely. It's months, it's months and months and months of work. And even yeah. after you've, even after you've built the race and then, you know, you hope the next year and the year after that will be kind of plug and play. Yeah. There's still milestones that you have to hit. So, you know, yeah. the permits have got to be in by this date. The yes. medals have got to be ordered by this date. The toilets have got to be booked. The parks permits got to go through. Um, and then there is, I think the one thing is that constant liaison with competitors. Yeah. Um, you know, that if you've got a thousand competitors, I reckon probably 600 of those are going to want a personal message or some kind or have a yeah. question that they want answered and and it's just keeping on trying to keep on top of that um you know that pr side of things as well which gets really time consuming so there's a lot involved plus when you add in a liquor license um, yeah that takes yeah. it to a whole new level yeah and a pandemic <laughs> yeah. yeah that was fun i think that was probably the best and worst day of my life to be honest <laughs> the world health organization declared a global pandemic on uh, the 12th of march the day before the beer run yes. <laughs> and they state the government announced a 500 cap limit and i reckon yeah. i had 500 competitors ring me <laughs> on that day yeah. oh my <laughs> asking God. if we were still going ahead so yeah. Uh, yeah i think we went into lockdown the monday after yeah we did yeah, yeah. wow yeah. geez you timed that to perfection yeah, that was that was big. <laughs> that was big. But I mean, we had, there was no community transmission whatsoever then, you know, no. not like now. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny to think about it in retrospect, isn't it? Because there's so much community transmission at the moment and yet we're still allowed to proceed with events. But yeah. when this whole thing kicked off two years ago. But I guess it was also, you know, working it all out and finding out and learning and, and you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, two, two years on, we... Yeah, we can't be in lockdown still, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So would you have um, any advice for, for runners when they're hitting the trails? Any advice you could give them for, for keeping themselves safe? Um, I think just going back to what we said before, uh, being mindful of the territory that you're headed into. If you're going somewhere and you don't, if you don't know if there's phone reception, um, think about, if you, especially if you're going trails, think about getting one of those uh, in-reach devices that can push out an emergency text message. Yeah. Um, making sure that whoever you do have as your emergency contact is aware that yeah. they're your emergency contact. We've yeah. had a few um, circumstances where we've needed to phone people's emergency contacts and the response has been, I don't know why they've got me listed. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I go running with him occasionally, but that's about oh, it. Wow. You know? So. Yeah, so that can be really challenging. It's a bit sad, actually. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that can be really sad. challenging. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so make sure you've got an emergency contact in your phone. Um, yeah. You know, if you're going out for a run, uh, take your snake bandage if need be. Make sure you've got enough water or if you don't want to carry stuff with you, then plan your route um, so that you've got somewhere where you can stop for water breaks. Um, if you're going remote and you're going into a bush, consider carrying a life straw yeah. so that you can access, um, you know, you've got water that you can access. Um, and just, yeah, just taking that ownership and responsibility for where you're going and your own safety. 
And then say on another note, if, if an athlete <clears throat> is told that they need to be pulled from or, you know, need to, you, you say that you recommend they don't finish, um, what should a, an athlete take into consideration when they're told that, like to help them perhaps understand it better? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think in the all the years that we've been doing this, we've only had to do that twice. Oh, um, wow. Which that's is a good great. thing. We really, really do our very best. We There's no personal gain for us to remove you from course. No. Hmm. Um, there's no gain to anybody if we have to stop your race. And we really, really don't want to have to do that. Um, but at the same time, a lot of our guys have been out there and they've done these races. And I know that there's a mentality of, I'm going to finish even if I have to crawl bleeding across the finish line. And I get that grit and I, we get understand people having that determination and having that, but do you want to jeopardize your next six months worth of racing or your next nine months or 12 months worth of racing to do that? Um, And sometimes what might not be obvious to you is very obvious to someone with a medically trained eye. Um, You know, we have stopped um, someone from, competing or from finishing a multi-day event um, because there was a severely infected great toenail Um, and you know the response was oh but it's okay it actually feels pretty numb which is even more of a red flag (laughs) Um, and at the end of the day we had to say look I understand you're walking on it and you feel like you can run and that there's nothing else about you that feels unwell but you need to appreciate that there is absolutely infection there and you know, the longer that that exists there and the deeper that that infection goes and we think we can see a bit of a channel under the skin and there's potential for that to turn into osteomyelitis, which is infection of the bone. And sure. if that's the case, you can severely jeopardise, you know, your running future if you're going to damage um, your foot or your great toe, which you need significantly for your balance. So, you know, we know it's a tough pill to swallow um, and we really, really do try not to... Um, put runners in that situation but if we are asking you um, to stop your race then we we are doing it for good reason Mm. that's the most important thing to remember yeah and we're doing it we're doing it not only from a medical point of view but we're doing it from a running point of view we're trying to um, make sure that you're going to get some longevity and that you're going to continue to run you know if you've got significant shin splints that you've been nursing and you've towed the start line knowing that they weren't up to scratch and they weren't ready um, we'll, we'll, we'll absolutely advocate that you don't continue to run on it because all you're going to do is make it worse. And even though you might get that momentary, I guess, mental health relief of having done the run and achieved what you wanted to achieve, what's the damage for the next six or nine months? So, and, and what's the mental health damage too if you can't run for the next six to nine exactly. months? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah a DNF is a tough pill to swallow, but if we do yeah. ask it, then it's for good reason. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever just encourage someone to DNF and, and then leave the choice up to them? Yeah, we, we, we call it planting the seed. <laughs> so we do, ultimately, we would always prefer it be the runner's decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it might take 20 minutes with a blanket on sitting around a fireplace with a cup of soup to let them come to that decision themselves and just offer the education um, and the rationale behind it and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, we do try and hopefully get the runner to come to that decision themselves. 
Now, on the flip side of the coin, do you ever have any runners who kind of really want you to tell them that they should stop? Yep. You know <laughs> that they can keep going and you're just like handing them that cup of concrete. Do you ever have yeah. to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had quite a lot of people. We have a lot of people who just say, oh, no, nah, it's not. It's not my day. Yeah. And, and, and we're happy to say, well, hang on a minute. Why? Why is it not your day? What's wrong? Your legs okay? Yep. Okay. Is your tummy okay? Yep. Okay. Well, what's, what is it? What, what's, why is it not your day? If you're too hot, you're too cold, what's going on? And, you know, nine times out of 10, just a little bit of um, emotional support and they can yep. get back out there again. And, and we've helped a lot of people um, finish their race when otherwise um, I think if we hadn't have been out there, they would have thrown the towel in. So, yeah. and we've got, particularly we um, have uh run medics so we'll have medics out on course with a pack on who will be out there doing the event at the same time as the competitors um and you know in particular julie uh julie savage who's one of our run medics and and karen mickle um they've helped countless people finish their races just by being out there and being a support for them to just keep moving forward so yeah i think we do those people ever come up and thank you guys later oh absolutely Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah, yeah, they're really grateful just to have someone to talk to out there just to get them yeah. over those hard bits and those hurdles. And, um, yeah, yeah, they're usually really grateful. Yeah. That's yeah. true. All righty. Well, um, that's, I think that's a nice positive note to, to finish that on. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, oh, no problem. Really today. enjoyed it. And, and um, we encourage people, you know, to say hi to Deb if, if they see her out there or any of the EMS staff to say hi, you know. And it's always good to say thank you as well. Thank yeah. you for being there. Oh, no, we're, we're, we'd be there anyway, I think, Ron, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of whether we were, you know, whether yeah. we're working there or not. It's, it's just yeah. the community that we love to be around. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great community, it sure is. Yeah. All righty, well, thanks so much for that. No worries. Take care. Bye. Deb and her crew certainly have a big job looking after all us runners. I personally still remember going to the medical tent after winning GSER in 2019 and her level of care was amazing. I definitely felt very looked after. Now, if you want to get more awesome running info, make sure you join the Peak Endurance Running Group on Facebook. It's a great place for all things endurance running. Or, alternatively, you can go to my website, peakendurancecoaching.com.au, with the link in the show notes, to get onto my email list. I'd love to have you join up. Anyway, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and I look forward to sharing another next week. Until then, have an awesome week. Bye.